0: Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm Cass. I'm MJ. So the inspiration for today's episode was Biden's announcement back on April 11th on a new rule regarding ghost guns.
1: You were there.
0: I was there. I saw your
1: Instagram. You were there. It was
0: very, very exciting. Yeah. First time I've gotten to go to the White House. Hopefully not the last, but it was... Really cool to walk. And like, there's the big lawn and, you know, the rounded front with the big pillars. And then we walked through and then we're in this garden and it was surreal.
1: It was very, very cool. You only see it on the news, but now you're there.
0: Hearing uh, Vice President Harris and President Biden speak like that was cool. But to be totally honest, like being at the White House was
1: really, really awesome. (laughs) Did you post this on Twitter? So maybe Where did you post this?
0: I posted the pictures of me on Instagram, but then there was a bunch of really amazing and super smart people who got together for a uh, drink afterward and I took a, a really bad Usie that I posted on Twitter. So
1: if you follow Cass on Twitter, you might have saw this. But yes, you were there. So what about this? All right.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to we wanted to put this episode together <laughs> because when people hear the term ghost gun, it can conjure up images of like futuristic firearms that are invisible or undetectable or some other cool, fancy thing. So MJ, I know we talk about some of these topics, but before this episode, before the announcement, what did you think of when you heard ghost guns?
1: So like a normal person, I immediately thought of an invisible gun or alternatively, because invisible gun is not practical. Alternatively, they finally invented a silencer that actually silenced because contrary to popular belief, there's no such thing as a silencer. It's a suppressor but maybe they finally did it. Maybe they made a silent gun.
0: As is evidenced by what you thought when you first heard ghost guns, there's a lot of confusion about what they are and what they aren't. So today I'm stoked that we're bringing back one of my colleagues and for regular listeners, a prior guest on the show. Um, I'll let him introduce himself.
2: I'm Alex McCourt. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And I'm also core faculty in the Center for Gun Violence Solutions.
0: Listeners might have noticed that Alex has a new title. He was recently appointed as an assistant professor which means he will hopefully be sticking around with our center for a while longer. Nice, nice. And as folks may recall, in addition to being trained as a public health researcher, he's also trained as a lawyer, and he is our go-to public health
1: law guru. I think this is both a testament to his accomplishment, but also like how long we have done this podcast that we saw one of our guests went through a career transition in the meantime.
0: Yeah, I'll put more credit on Alex's accomplishments than our longevity, but it is exceptionally exciting both for him. We're very proud of him, but also it's an amazing boon for our center to have Alex's expertise with his public health research and law. Yeah, of course. As we started off at the beginning of this episode, there's a confusion. And maybe misperception might be the right word around ghost guns. So naturally, the first question for Alex is, what is a ghost gun?
2: A ghost gun is a privately made firearm that's usually made at home and lacks serial numbers and other identifying markings that are usually required for traditionally manufactured firearms. And this is distinct from a gun that has had its serial numbers obliterated. So you might hear in law enforcement reports or more likely in media and movies and things like that about serial numbers being filed away or you know removed with acid, other things like that. This is separate from that. This is by design that these guns don't have serial numbers. Once constructed, ghost guns are virtually indistinguishable from traditionally manufactured guns. They're just as lethal. They usually contain metal of some type or they're entirely metal, like a traditional gun. Undetectable guns are slightly different. They're usually entirely plastic or some other non-metal material. And the idea is that these guns can escape detection at, say, you know, an airport. They can get through a metal detector or maybe a, an x-ray doesn't pick them up. But ghost guns are, are separate. They're less of a, a spy movie thing.
1: I think one of the problems is that people keep on giving like cool names to things that don't really deserve a cool name. I have never once wanted to own Firearm in my life, but I was like, oh, ghost gun. Maybe I want a ghost gun because it just sounds so
0: cool. It can be a cool name or it can be used to sometimes sort of conjure up a, a scary thing to try to increase concern.
1: So at this point in an interview, I'm thinking in my mind, like, how the hell... Do you make a gun at home? Like in my mind, what I'm picturing is like medieval blacksmiths. They're pouring like (laughs) melted metal into a mold and they're sweating and they're like hammering things. But that is not how you make a gun, I guess. It's, It's too much work. So how do they make a gun?
2: an important question because these guns are made in several different ways. So first you can purchase a kit. These are often called buy, build, shoot kits, and they have virtually everything you need. They have each of the parts of the gun. Sometimes they have a a jig that you can use to help put it together and they have instructions. You can also buy the parts separately. So you can buy each part individually and put it together once you have all of them. And finally, some of the parts can be 3D printed. So you can 3D print, for example, the, the main piece of the gun and add all the other pieces. The key component here is the frame or receiver, which you can think about as as the main piece of the gun. It houses all of the other pieces. Just really simply, that's what it does. And when a frame or receiver is completely finished, like it is ready to go and accept all the other parts, it's actually considered a gun all by itself, even before the other parts are attached. The way that these kits and individual pieces get around that definition is they sell unfinished Frames and receivers. So they're maybe 80% done. And you have to drill out a few pieces, machine it a little bit to get the holes in the right places, and then you can put everything else on.
0: A major concern about these kits that Alex was just describing is that because they hadn't technically been firearms, they weren't required to have a serial number. A traditionally made gun, one that is produced by a licensed manufacturer and sort of you would buy from a gun store, has to have a serial number on the frame or the receiver. That's the part that is considered the gun. And that number is used by law enforcement to find the manufacturer to figure out which gun dealer it went to and then who sold it sort of in that first purchase.
1: I mean, this sounds like a huge loophole. Just to hear, like, it's in a way, it's very philosophical. You know the ship of Theseus?
0: Um, it's not coming top of mind, but I'm interested <laughs> to hear your philosophical take on this.
1: So the ship of Theseus is basically if you have a ship and you replace the ship one board at a time. Right. So, like, at what point is a gun not a gun, <laughs> right? I, th- I feel like it's a very philosophical concept, but also a huge legal loophole that people obviously are exploiting which is why we're doing this episode
0: well and this is something that biden specifically said in his announcement at the white house he said if you buy a kit to put together a couch Uh
1: it's still a couch couch, right
0: (laughs) and so the same logic should apply if you're buying a kit to build a gun it should still be a gun and treated like a gun
1: i'm surprised it doesn't apply
0: well it was based on an outdated interpretation of laws and rules and so it was a way to get around. Previously, if something was less than 80% complete, this receiver, this bottom part of the firearm, the main part, if it was less than 80% complete, it wasn't a firearm. And so folks got really smart and figured out that this was a way to get around things. It creates a big loophole.
1: Oh, man. Obviously, there's issues associated with having a gun that doesn't have a serial number on
2: it. I think there are two general reasons that we should care about ghost guns. The first is the one that I think gets the most attention, which is that they are untraceable. Because these guns lack serial numbers, they can't be traced in that way. So law enforcement recovers them, and they can't really do anything with it. And ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and they said that they've had thousands and thousands of these ghost guns reported to them for tracing over the last uh, five or so years, and they've been able to successfully trace 1% of them. So it's a virtually impossible to trace these guns. So that's the first thing. The second, and I actually think maybe more important one, is that because these kits and these pieces are not considered firearms, you don't have to undergo a background check to buy them. You can order them online, and anyone can order them online. So we've seen people that are deliberately trying to get around firearm prohibitions because they have a history of violence or because they have some other history that would prohibit them from from having a gun. And we've also seen children get them, and we've seen kids use them in school shootings. And also in accidental shootings of themselves or siblings or friends. Uh,
0: The new rule that Biden announced was not made in isolation. So some states had been passing legislation restricting or banning access to ghost guns or unserialized guns. Uh, But the notice and comment period for the proposed rules on ghost guns led to quite the hullabaloo.
1: Completely predictable, as with any issues regarding the Second Amendment. We've talked about this before, which is this concept that states are a laboratory for democracy. And I don't know, I feel like every time we have new issues like this, that where the state act faster than the federal government, we always get a patchwork of stuff for better or for worse, and most time for worse, because you have states that just don't regulate at all.
0: Right. We often end up in a place where states are doing their own thing because there's a lack of movement at the federal level, and then eventually the federal government has to step in. But in the case of gun laws in particular, we're regularly hearing from gun rights groups and and advocates that we don't need more gun laws. We just need to enforce the laws we have. Yeah, common argument. Which is a frustrating argument. It is, yeah. In some instances, it is accurate. But in the case of ghost guns, like these are a way to get around federal and state gun laws that prohibit certain individuals from purchasing guns. So it's like you say, let's enforce the laws we have. Okay, we have state and federal prohibitions, but then we have an avenue where people can buy these kits and make guns and get around those laws.
2: Generally, when you purchase a gun from a licensed dealer, so if you go to a gun store or even a a big box store and you want to buy a gun you have to undergo a background check in the majority of cases, you have to undergo a background check. And that background check checks to see if you have specific elements in your history, maybe you've been convicted of a felony, you have a history of domestic violence, maybe you've been involuntarily committed to like a psychiatric hospital, there are multiple different things that it checks the vast majority of the time that check is comes back clean, you get the gun and it's really quick. Sometimes it doesn't and the sale is either delayed or it just doesn't take place because you're banned from possessing one. Here, there are people that can get around that. So there could be somebody who goes to a gun dealer, They try to buy a gun, the sale doesn't go through because the background check has failed. They can go home and order one of these kits, and once it's delivered in likely less than a day, have a fully functioning gun. And really, until they have constructed that gun, they haven't broken any laws. So that's really the mechanics here. There are many evidence-based policies we know about that reduce gun violence. We've found that some background check laws are very effective at reducing homicide, suicide, and other gun-related outcomes. But these guns undermine those policies.
1: Who's making kits? Like, just off the top of your head, are these, like, major gun manufacturers, like, Missing Weston?
0: No, the problem is, currently, there's no license required to make one of these kits. No, are you serious?
1: (laughs) Again, I just feel like this is a loophole that's, like, too obvious for people not to anticipate I'm, I'm flabbergasted is that a word that is a word Flabbergasted. <laughs> flabbergasted. Is a word, yes yes so this is a tangent but it reminds me of the fda's rule on uh, vaping so there's regulation about tobacco vaping tobacco they, they can regulate it as if they were cigarettes but the rule doesn't say like the rule specifically says tobacco products so there's a huge loophole of synthetic tobacco Or synthetic nicotine, which in my mind is like, come on, they're the same thing. What are you talking about? But some lawyer somewhere will pop out of the bush and be like, actually, according to the language of the law, probably with this, some lawyer somewhere popped out and say, actually, according to the law, if it's less than 80%, it's not considered a firearm. Exactly. Who are these lawyers?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're exactly on point with that. But the other sort of interesting piece of this is... You will hear that that these guns, these kits, are not a huge problem. You'll hear that, you know, oh, they're being bought by responsible owners, they're being bought by hobbyists, which we'll talk a little bit about with Alex in, in a later part of the episode. But when you look at the data, mm-hmm. numbers matter, high quality data matters, and it's a challenge with ghost guns because there's no way of tracking sales, there's no way of tracking these on kits purpose. because yeah. they're on the internet, there are no background checks required, but we have been seeing increases in their
1: use. This already sounds incredibly concerning given everything we know about gun violence and gun trafficking. So what is the scale of this issue?
2: So in the final rule that ATF released on April 11th, it provided some data, not very much, but some. And they had specific numbers for the last six years. So 2016, up until almost current. So in 2016, there were about 1,700 privately made firearms or ghost guns reported to ATF. In 2021, they had over 19,000. So they had an enormous over 10-fold increase over just a five-year span.
0: So one of the concerns is when more attention is being paid to an accessory, a product, et cetera, more people learn about it. And so if Folks remember the Las Vegas mass shooting. The perpetrator of that shooting used an accessory that's called a bump stock.
1: I still don't know what that is.
0: Basically allows a semi-automatic rifle to fire similarly to an automatic rifle. It's different from an auto sear, which we can talk about another time, but it uses the recoil of the rifle to bump the rifle forward and back so your finger doesn't have to move and the the movement of the rifle oh. while it's firing allows it to fire more quickly than you might otherwise fire. Very few people knew about what these were. Like me. And then there was a ton of attention being paid to them because of the Las Vegas shooting And then demand for these things exploded. Everybody and their neighbors buying bump stocks. It's just, there's YouTube videos, there's news media stories, it's all over the place. And eventually the ATF issued a rule banning bump stocks because of their functionality, basically making these semi-automatic rifles function similar to a fully automatic rifle.
1: And I think we'll definitely do an episode about the media and the responsibility of the media when it comes to a public health issue like this. But this is, I think, a really clear case of if you bring more attention to something, the effect is not always good, right? And I think the media has at least some responsibility of bringing attention to something without making it sound like, oh, it's so cool.
0: Right. We don't want to be glorifying things in the media. Which
1: I don't know. I was not woke when the Las Vegas shooting happened, so I wasn't paying too much attention to the Las Vegas shooting. Like, do you remember how the media covered the bump stop?
0: Oh, man. they Every single outlet. It seemed like every... Segment or section of the of all of these shows and on social media, we're not just talking about bump stocks and their use. They're demonstrating.
1: Oh, that's a little too much. <laughs>
0: what they do, and I think the goal was to sort of raise concern about this accessory, but all it did was show people who might be a little bit into guns. Whoa, there's this cool accessory that I want to buy, and I want to get it before they're banned. Yeah. But bringing it back to the inspiration for the episode, the yes. the rule that was issued. So we don't know, right, how often they're being purchased. We just know, as Alex said, how often they're recovered in crime. But when we have improved technology, we've got more websites selling them, this recognition that I was just talking about, and the fact that as opposed to some other like 3D printed guns, they they're basically the same thing as a traditional gun you would buy from the shop. They have a, a lot of attention of potential traffickers who might want to buy a lot of these guns, make them, and sell them. And so we're just seeing a lot of increased attention, which could be contributing to their increased recoveries in crime.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a gun designed to be untraceable. I could see why there might be a huge market for both above the ground and below the ground. That's not a phrase, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's, what's above the table and below the table yeah there we go part of not, a legal the market ground.
0: versus an underground market yeah in response to these growing numbers so alex talked about the ten fold increase in recoveries so lots of these guns being recovered in crime law enforcement at the state and local level are saying hey we need to do something federal government please do something they issued this rule which was announced by the biden administration
2: So what that rule does is it tries to bring these kits and unfinished receivers into the same space as traditionally manufactured guns. So when a kit is sold, it will now have to include a serial number, for example, in the vast majority of cases. So these buy, build, shoot kits that make everything very easy, they'll have to have a serial number. And what that means is that only commercial licensed manufacturers can sell these kits. So if there are people that are manufacturing these kits now for sale, or there are companies that aren't licensed to do so by the federal government, they have to either secure a license or stop stop selling these kits. So once these kits have a, a frame or serial number, they are both traceable. And when somebody purchases them from a licensed dealer, they have to undergo a background check. So the goal is to approach both of the problems that that we discussed earlier traceability and also the background check
1: which i think should be a thing in the first place but i'm glad it's happening now rather than never so good that's that's a good thing
0: an important note about this rule as alex told us it doesn't prohibit someone from making a gun at home You could still make a gun from scratch, maybe MJ in the the way you were thinking, you'd get the raw materials,
1: you like do the blacksmithing
0: and the pouring of metal. I don't know how you make a gun from scratch. That's beyond my expertise or from a kit, which is largely what we've been talking about today. If you buy it from a or if you buy a kit and make it from a kit, it will have a serial number. There have been and are concerns expressed by hobbyists that will prevent them from making guns, which isn't the case.
2: Yeah, hobbyists have been doing this for a while, and they they care a lot about these guns, many hobbyists. There are actually competitions where hobbyists will build their own guns and then see how well they function, how well they shoot, how accurate they are. And these are well attended and popular. So obviously, there are a lot of hobbyists that are upset about this and worried about this. The first thing to keep in mind is that the rule itself specifically says that you can keep making homemade guns. There's nothing that bans making a gun. So if you get raw material, make a gun, hobbyists can continue to do that. What changes is if a hobbyist wants to buy a kit, they will have to undergo a background check. And that gun that they ultimately produce will have a serial number. Now, one reason that I think the hobbyist argument is a little bit misleading is that most of these hobbyists probably already own traditional guns. They've probably undergone a background check they probably have a license, they probably have a license to carry. And if you have a license to carry, you usually don't have to undergo another background check at the point of sale. So even in that case, if they have a license to carry, they might be able to buy this kit without undergoing a background check when they actually buy it. And so I think that it's a little bit misleading, but it, it is something that that seems to have been taken into account by the ATF.
1: They obviously didn't take this easily, but I guess so. I'm not a gun owner, right? And I, I have never been a gun owner, nor do I know anyone personally outside of you who is a gun owner. So I never understood why some, you know, not criminal, some like law-abiding citizen may want to have a untraceable gun i I just never understood it it
0: really comes back to fear of a tyrannical government So if you think about the way our country was formed through the Revolutionary War and people sort of rising up against the tyranny of the English government and sort of using firearms to overthrow the government, like it really comes back to that, that if the government became tyrannical, private armed citizens would be able to come in and overthrow the government, which I think there are two issues One, there are concerns about the government creating a registry. So, you know, any any car you have, you register that car, the government knows that you have this car when you sell it, you tell them and that's fine. That kind of registry related to guns is prohibited by the federal government. So, there are concerns that if your guns have serial numbers, there will be some mass confiscation, particularly if there was a registry, but that's prohibited by federal law. So, that side of the argument I think is a little bit silly. The other side well, if I, you know, (laughs) needed to, I need to keep my guns in case the government becomes tyrannical and I want to overthrow them. And I always say, well, that's a silly argument because the government has drones and missiles and all sorts of things that we don't, most of us anyway, as private citizens don't have access to. And then people will say, oh, but no, but you know, those folks in Oregon took over a Uh, you know, federal preserve, but here's the thing. And they said, oh, but they, they had firearms and they held off the federal government for a long time. And so like, that's the kind of thing we need to be able to do. And I'm like, if we were a tyrannical government, they would have bombed the out of those people, killed them, taken the preserve back over. And then everybody would have gone on their merry way. The fact that those people had firearms was not the reason that they, the government didn't take over and just kick them out. It's because we don't have a tyrannical government and people yeah. would have lost their minds had the government killed these people uh-huh. to try to kick them out of the place. So I, <laughs> I always get a little frustrated with that argument.
1: I think so too. I think, so two things, like one, isn't a registry just like a list I don't know why it's scary to have a register.
0: Because people are concerned about confiscation, which I think is silly because right. there are many states, I say several states, more than a handful that have had registries, either for handguns or for all guns, for a very long time. And there's never been mass confiscation. Most states use those registries to take guns away from people who have lost the right to gun ownership because of their criminal or mental health history. People who have become prohibited, but based on the registry, own firearms. They use that to go take guns away from people who we've all decided as a society shouldn't have them. But it's not taking guns away from people who can lawfully purchase them.
1: Yeah. Like Why are you scared of a list of information? I don't know. But, and the second thing is, the Revolutionary War was fought where you could get to the level of the government because all you needed was a bunch of muskets. And then there you go. You guys are like on even playing fields pretty much. But, like you said, like now it's virtually impossible, if not just straight up impossible, to be on the same level as like a government by that standard, right?
0: Well, interestingly, a lot of people on the gun rights side are pointing to. Ukraine as an example of why we need expansive armed private citizenship. But the thing that they choose to ignore is that the Ukrainian government distributed, distributed guns to citizens. They are working in conjunction with the Ukrainian government to Fight against an outside invader. Yeah,
1: that's a someone's if, invading. If another
0: country came and tried to invade the United States, yeah, I'm sure, you know, folks would band together and that would be great. Actually, I, I'm not so sure that folks would band together. But anyway, <laughs> right. I have, I have a little bit of pessimism about that. But
1: it's not a parallel. It is
0: not that private citizens in Ukraine used their firearms and rose up against the Ukrainian government. No, they didn't have guns. The Ukrainian government distributed these guns to people to help defend their country. As as
1: again, we found a lot of false parallels, but go ahead. Yeah,
0: we've gone a little bit down a wormhole, but... But that's okay. Pulling it back for a moment, like many gun-related issues, like many issues at times, states have been frustrated by a lack of movement at the federal level. So as I mentioned earlier, some some states have passed laws banning or otherwise regulating ghost guns, and Alex is going to tell us a little bit about how the new rule will work in the context of existing state laws.
2: There's a range of approaches. There are some states that have banned them entirely. You cannot possess a gun without a serial number, which is a little bit stronger than what the federal government is doing. They've also done things that are very similar to the federal rule, saying that in the future, these kits that are sold or guns that are produced must have a serial number. And then there are states that have passed rules that say anybody that has a gun that doesn't have a serial number has to bring it in to get a serial number. So there's an array of approaches here. One problem is that these guns live online. They've lived on the internet they're sold and delivered in you know the same way that you order something from Amazon And so as a result, these state laws are weakened somewhat because I can live in one of these states and I can order something online and maybe that's not picked up. I can also have something delivered to an adjacent state and go over there and get it and bring it back. And technically, I'm not really breaking any laws that I might normally be breaking with a regular firearm. These are also very popular at gun shows. And so people from New Jersey, for example, which has a a relatively strong ghost gun law, will go into Pennsylvania to gun shows and buy kits and then go back to New Jersey. So it's created a patchwork that's very difficult to manage. So that's one thing that the federal law should definitely help with is bringing everybody up to at least a higher baseline.
0: So one of the challenges we talked about in this episode and we've talked about previously is when states are sort of left to their own devices to regulate things, we end up with a patchwork. Uh So what this rule does is to at least raise everybody to a minimum level. Preemption. Right. These guns are sold on the internet and so it's hard to know sort of where they're going and, and who's buying them. But at least this way, everybody has to pass a background check or they're supposed to pass a background check. As they should. And all of these kits are supposed to have a serial number. As they should. I think for me, one of the most important pieces is that in order to produce these kits, you now need to be licensed like any other manufacturer or dealer (laughs) right so it's really about sort of bringing these ghost gun kits into the fold of other kinds of firearms
1: yeah and so what sort of impact are we expecting from this new rule
2: I think it will be beneficial. I think that it will make it a little more difficult to get guns that don't have serial numbers, and it will make it a little more difficult for people who shouldn't have guns to get them. It'll make sure that our laws are functioning the way that they're written. There are laws on the books at both the federal and state level that are being undermined by the presence of these guns, and this rule will stop a lot of that. So we we shouldn't see people that are prohibited being easily able to access these kits. There are also some gaps in this law. The most important is that it doesn't really say anything about 3D printed guns. 3D printed guns are kind of mentioned as a way that you can produce these pieces, but that's it. Anyone that wants to have a ghost gun can still 3D print them and sell them, have them, whatever. This... Rule doesn't do anything about 3D-printed guns. And that technology is advancing rapidly. So we're definitely going to have to grapple with that in the future, especially if these other kits actually become more difficult to get. Another potential weakness is that the rule defines a firearm as including these kits and individual pieces as long as they can be readily transformed into something that fires a projectile, so a functioning firearm. And it has a, a whole list of factors that they consider in determining whether something can readily be transformed into a functioning gun, including how long it takes, how easy it is, what expertise is required, what equipment do you need, are all the parts available in a kit or easily. Otherwise, how expensive they are, how much work is required, etc. So it's great that they have this this kind of flexible test because a, a rigid test might be more difficult to implement or might kind of leave things out. But it also means that when we see a maybe new administration or new directors of the ATF, enforcement and implementation of this might vary quite a bit.
0: So I think, again, it's important to keep in mind that we're not saying you can't purchase them, We're not saying you can't make a gun at home. It's if you're going to buy one of these kits, something that's easy to convert into
1: practically a gun,
0: a gun, maybe easier than than Ikea furniture, (laughs) perhaps, depending on your skill level, that this should be treated like a firearm, Yeah, like other firearms serialized so that it can be traced back at least to the first sale. And purchasers have to undergo a background check to make sure they're not prohibited.
1: I think these are like very common sense rules that should be in place like a long time ago. And, and I think people always have like this false aversion to any sort of regulation. They think that this is just like, oh, this is a slippery slope of like, they're gonna, just going to take our all, all our guns away. But that's it's very clear. I think the announcement that Biden made, they were very clear that this is not about restricting access. This is about accountability, essentially, of what this is. Lastly, it won't be everything is public health unless we ask our guests why this is public health. So, of course, we asked our guest, now Professor Alex McCourt, what he thought about how this is public health
2: so we've seen large increases in gun violence and gun violence is already a significant public health problem in the u.s but during the pandemic we've seen increases in some measures of firearm violence and this is alongside increases in recoveries of ghost guns by law enforcement so ghost guns are likely playing some role in firearm violence but we know that from news reports and and law enforcement agencies, that these are being used in things like school shootings. There was a, a kid that was ordering these and constructing them and selling them. And he accidentally, I think, shot his sister. And so kids are getting these. Kids are getting them, they're building them, and they're using them. We also know that there are people who have a history of violence. There was a guy in California who had multiple domestic violence restraining orders and offenses, was prohibited from having a gun, and had multiple and was arrested. And when he was arrested, he told law enforcement, this was the only way that I could get a gun. So we know that this is happening and that people are getting them that shouldn't have them. And that's undoubtedly contributing to gun violence. We have solutions for gun violence. Gun violence requires a many different solutions, but we know of some of them. And some of them are policy-based, purchaser licensing, we're requiring a license to purchase a gun, extreme risk protection orders that allow you to remove a gun from someone who's at high risk of harming themselves or others. Those policies and and similar policies rely on being able to identify who's at risk of harming themselves or others and keeping guns away from them. So we can still identify those people, but if they're able to order these kits online and build their own guns, we can't effectively keep guns away from them, which means they may be at risk to themselves and others, even if the law is designed to minimize that risk. So hopefully what this rule will do is make it easier for those laws to function so that we can actually protect people that are at risk of harming themselves and keep guns away from those who are at risk of harming others.
1: If these kits are so accessible and so untraceable and so easy to assemble that a teenager could do it, of course, this is like a public health concern. It's like a car, right? There's a reason why we have an age restriction on who can drive. And I think it's similar there where there are just certain things that you want to make sure kids don't have access to, I guess, if that's the right way to put it.
0: Yeah, and we have federal law that says you can't purchase a handgun from a licensed dealer unless you're 21. But these kits, these buy, build, shoot kits are designed for anybody to be able to use them Very easy. prior to the rule being put in place. These kits, teenagers could lawfully buy them. There was nothing against the law for a teenager to buy one wow. of these guns. And then they were putting them together and selling them, which is, again, we hear a lot about enforcing the laws that we have. But this creates a huge Gap, And it's not just a gap that's being used by hobbyists or other people who could already lawfully buy firearms who maybe want an untraceable gun for some reason. This is being leveraged and accessed intentionally by people who otherwise could not buy guns.
1: Yeah, which is a huge concern and why this new rule is so important. And hopefully we see its impact right away.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health and things like Ghost Guns.
1: New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help the show immensely. Send us questions, comments to everythingspublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. There will be no bonus this Monday because we did a chunkier episode today, but we will come back again next Thursday with a brand new episode.
0: Follow us on Twitter at everything is PH or Instagram at everything is public health. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Crafasi. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page and you can find the link in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health.
1: Everything is public health.